And we've been in the book of Jonah. We've been taking our time through the book of Jonah. And this is message three. We have seen so far the plan for Jonah, go to Nineveh. Then the, uh, last week we saw uh, kind of the rebellion of Jonah. Jonah heads down to Joppa, now known as Jaffa. And he's going to take a, a ship to Tarshish. He's going to at least try. And the storm comes. They cast lots. The lot fell on him. And then we kind of stopped we were where we were at. And this morning we're going to see a, a simple truth uh, found in the reality that God is relentless to pursue us in a sea of unbelief. God is, God is relentless. He is um, persistent to pursue us in a sea of uh, disbelief this morning. Have you ever read a story or experienced someone's persistence that may have inspired you? I don't know about you, maybe it was somebody in your life that just their persistence, maybe even personally for you, that just inspired you. I think of people like Diedrich Bonhoeffer, if you know the story of Bonhoeffer, who really defied the government of Germany because he saw the oppression that was taking place with the Jews in the early 1900s, and he would face intense persecution because of that. that the churches in Germany made this ungodly agreement with the government of, of Germany, and, and he knew like this was not not right. This was not of, of God and he opposed it and he faced opposition, but he was persistent because he believed what was right and he was persistent in it so much so that he even fled to, to America. He took a position there in America and he, and he felt guilt about it. He was known for, for saying this about it. He says, I've made a mistake in coming to America. Because I must live through this difficult period of history with the Christian people of Germany because I will have no right to participate in the reconstruction of the Christian life in Germany after the war if I do not share in their trials. And so what happened, he goes back to Germany and he instantly faces opposition and persecution and oppression because he, had, he was persistent. Why? He was persistent to help free Jews. He was persistent to help share Jesus. And he was ultimately persistent to try to stop Hitler all the way up until April 9th, 1945, when he was found and he was ultimately hung. But it was known when he was hung, somebody penned these words about that hanging that he took place in. And it, and it said, someone wrote this, at the place of his execution, Bonhoeffer said a prayer. He climbed a few steps up to the gallows, brave. He was so composed. It says, it continues, and it'll say, I've hardly ever seen a man die so entirely submissive to the will of God. Why? Because he was persistent about something that he truly believed in, persistence. And, and this morning, what we're going to see is that God is persistent. God is relentless to pursue even the pagans and even the prophet that fell away from, from God. I'm sure I could sit up here and tell you story after story of leaders who are persistent and relentless in my life to pursue me. You could probably too. I could tell you the opposite. I could tell you people who weren't and the, and the effects of that. I could tell you, I could up, stand up here and read you letter after letter of people who were persistent to write to me and to, and to try to help me whenever I was in my time away from God. And we're going to see really a similar thing right here. God is persistent. And so verse 11 through verse 16 is where we're going to be this morning. The Bible says this, and they said to him, what shall we do that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea was growing more tempest. And Jonah said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that this great tempest is because of me. Nevertheless, the men rode harder to return to land, but they could not, for the sea continued to grow more tempest against them. Therefore, they cried out to the Lord and said, We pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life. 
Do not charge us with innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as you please. So they picked up Jonah, and they threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. I want you to notice just a couple things this morning. The first thing I want you to notice is in the theme, God is relentless over rebellious men. Aren't you thankful that God is, is persistent with you? If you know Christ and you have failed Christ, which we all have, even if you don't know Christ, you've fallen short, you just haven't realized it yet, but aren't you thankful for the persistence of God in all things? God is persistent for a, to his children. Charles Spurgeon says it this way, God never allows his children to sin successfully. And he really, and he really doesn't, that God is ultimately long-suffering, but even from the very beginning, he has pursued you. Adam and Eve in the garden, right? What, what happens? They sin against God, and what's God do? He pursues them. Where are you is what he says. All time and time again, through the people of Israel, through the children of Israel, God has persistently pursued them. He's been relentless to pursue his children. Jesus says in some of his parables, the parable of the lost coin, the parable of the, of the lost sheep, right? He's persistent to pursue his children. Even after we're saved, God is persistent to pursue us. How he comforts us, he guides us, he wants to compel us. Ultimately, he wants to conform us into his image. He's persistent to pursue us in all things. And aren't you so thankful for that and Jonah is a clear picture proof that God is relentless. God is persistent to pursue us. It's in his nature. Last week we saw how Jonah lost some things because of this rebellion. We saw that he fell asleep to the voice of God. We saw that he lost his passion to pray. We saw that he lost his testimony and he lost that spiritual fire inside of him. And what we find in this story is the theme of this story is that God is a gracious God despite a graceless prophet. God is a gracious God despite his undeserving people to receive it. And we see this time and time and time again. And we're going to continue to see it today. Hebrews 12 verse 6, 6 says this, Whom the Lord loves, what? He chastens. He scourges every son whom he receives. And so the men ask, what do we do? What do we do, Jonah? We know you're this prophet that's running from God. What do we do? And I want you to notice, first of all, that Jonah's rebellion is questioned by even pagan men. Jonah's rebellion is questioned even by people who don't know the God of Israel, who don't know Jehovah at this moment. Remember what verse 10 said? It says it this way. Then the men were exceedingly afraid. They were afraid of the storm, but there was a fear upon fear for what God was able to do once they experienced that Jehovah was causing this. And the men said, what have you done? Why have you done this to us? In one sense, it's like, why would you do this? Like, why would you inflict this pain upon, upon me? What did I do? And, and that's the thing about rebellion, running from God. Oftentimes it's self-focused, right? Because all we're really thinking about is, is us, and we don't think that the effects of our sin is actually hindering other people. That, that our sin, our running from God actually hurts our family, it hurts our friends, it hurts those we influence. It ultimately, as we said, it hurts the church because if you don't function properly, then I can't function properly because we're a body of Christ that affects so many different people. On one hand, it's like, what are you doing? Why have you chosen us? Why'd you get on a hardship if you're running from God? But the other thing is, why would you run from him? There has to be that, that, that question as the pagan men are praying to all these different gods and trying to figure out which god caused this storm. They're trying to figure out. All of a sudden, Jonah's like, hey, Jehovah calls this. The God who created all this calls this. In one sense, these sailors have to be, why, why, how could you not follow him? How, how, could you, how could you not submit your life to him? If your God's the one who created all of this, why would you not pursue him? 
And these, these men ask that question, why would you willingly rebel against a God who can do all of these things? And the unfortunate thing is people have been asking that question for centuries. As believers step away from the will of God for their lives, there's this sense that unbelievers are like, why would I buy in if you won't even follow the will of God either? Why would I be saved? Why would I choose him if you won't even submit your life to him either? You say this book changes your life, but you won't even live by it. You won't even guide your life by it. And people have been asking these questions ever since. You say Jesus is really who he says he is. If he's who he says he is, then why don't you live for him? And these men are like, what do you, what, why? Why would you do this? Ephesians 4 paints a picture that believers should live worthy of the calling that they have received. That, that we're actually supposed to live in a way that's worthy of the calling. And, and he'll paint the picture how to do that. He'll say, live humbly, right? You, you live a humble life. He says, live gently. L- live with patience inside of you. Live bearing one another in love. It'll continue to say, make every effort in your life to keep the unity of the peace through what? Through, through the bond of peace. That we should strive to be patient, be gentle, and, and, and love one another in the bond of peace and share in the unity of the Spirit of God in all things. Why? Ephesians 4 will continue and, be, and it'll say because we're one body. We're, we're one. We're, we have one Lord who's the maker and the creator of all. In a way, he's saying, why would you not follow that God? Why would you not pursue him? Why would you not try to live worthy of the calling which you've received? Because God has literally changed everything by giving you this thing called faith, by giving you this thing called redemption through the blood atonement of Jesus, and, and they've missed it. And what we need to realize is when we step outside of that, it's actually simply a distraction of who God has called us to be. And Jonah is being a distraction to who God is calling us to be. But what we'll find is that God is relentless, that God will use us in spite of us, but God longs to use us. What we'll find is God doesn't use Jonah to declare his glory. God uses a storm to declare his glory, and the people believe, which is a beautiful picture of God's relentless grace to man. But what we find is that God actually wanted to use Jonah. Now, sure, we can give people the benefit of the doubt. Some have been misguided by false teachers. Some have been stuck into religious traditions. Some, as we said last Sunday night, just haven't been discipled properly, and so they don't really know how to follow Jesus. But there is this sense in these sailors that if Jesus is, if God is really who you say he is, it does not make sense for you not to follow him. So they ask the question, why? And the question can be asked of us, too. Why? Why don't we pursue him more intimately? Why don't we follow his word more passionately? I remember in high school I had uh, a friend, I won't say her name because I don't know where she's at in life, uh, but I met her at the gathering place and sure enough we had this on and off relationship. It was pretty casual, but uh, we had this relationship with one another and uh, we, we met during my rebel stage of life. Gilmer's probably know, uh, but we met in that rebel stage of life and as I said last week, just like Jonah, he, he had zero compassion for the people of God for, for these pagan men, I had zero compassion for people. I didn't want to follow God, as we said last week, because I knew God wanted this direction for me, and I didn't want to touch that direction. So I was like, I'm staying clear of that one. And the thing about this, this situation was she gave me plenty of opportunities. 
And looking back, I had plenty, plenty of opportunities to do what, what, what she was asking because she knew I grew up in church. And so she'd put these plugs in and we met at kind of a Christian center. And, and she put these plugs in about, about church and, and Christianity and the Bible. And I'd always be like, oh, I don't want to talk about that. That's awkward. I don't want to get there. And I'd always kind of push it off when my cousin Chance would convince me to go to church with him. She'd always try to go with me. And I'd be like, oh, no, 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 we can't. I don't know what you're going to wear. I don't know what you're going to look. I don't want people to be awkward. I don't want people to talk. I don't want my parents to see you. I don't want my ex to, like, I always just push it off, push it off, push it off. I didn't want her involved, and I had zero compassion. If you know my story, if you don't, I'd love to share it with you sometime. If you know my story, you know God will eventually get a hold of my heart. I'll graduate, and, and, and I'll go to New York City uh, to take an inter- internship that summer because I knew if I stayed in Indiana, I would just fall right back into it. I knew my faith wasn't strong enough. I loved the Lord. I was trying to take those steps. But, but, but I just knew I would not stay strong. So I left. I left and God was slowly beginning to make some changes in my life. I kind of disconnected from everybody here and all my friends. But, but then about 12 weeks later, I came back. And I had a couple weeks before I went to Bible college. A couple weeks before I went to Bible college. And sure enough, I was scared because I knew my faith was still weak. I knew I wasn't going to be able to stand, so I tried to avoid them. But sure enough, I re- reconnected with some old friends, and we went to a place that I shouldn't have went. And, and there she was, and it is almost like I was just embarrassed of, of that I was a follower of Jesus now. And I found myself going right back to the old comforts that I used to do. Maybe you found yourself in that position too. And I remember beating myself up for it. Because I knew what I was supposed to do, but I wasn't strong enough to do it. And I found myself right back where I shouldn't be just a couple weeks before I was going to go to Bible college and try to follow God and be in ministry. And I remember whenever I left there, I went to college and said, I'm never coming back. Never coming back to Indiana. And I, and I really didn't. I, went, I came back one summer a little bit whenever I was a little bit more mature in the faith. But every other summer, I went different places because I wasn't going to risk that my faith was, was weak. But I'll never forget, as God began to work in my life, and God began to change me, and God began to work on my heart. I'll never forget a text that I received from, from this very girl. And the text simply said, I never knew you were a Christian this whole time. I said, yeah, I'm sorry. I, I was kind of ashamed. I didn't really know what to say. I wasn't living right. And the next text was this. If you're anything that a Christian is, I want nothing to do with your Christ. I'll never forget that, that, that text that I received and just the shock that I received, and here's the thing, she was absolutely right. Because there's a sense that if I claim this Christ for my eternal security, how can I not submit my entire life to that? How can I not allow him to completely change everything about me? And here's the thing, we can, we can claim it for ourselves, but, but it comes to a point that these pagan men asked Jonah, like, how does this not transform everything? If your God can cause the sea to cease or the sea to rage, how can you not submit your, your life to him? And so these questions were asked, and I learned in that situation that I'm Jonah. I'm Jonah. But here's the thing about Jonah. I'm thankful that God's relentless for me. I'm thankful that God's persistent for me. The Bible will continue saying this in verse 12. He said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea and the sea will become calm for you. For I know this great tempest is because of me. Secondly, notice this. Jonah is recognizing the reason for the storm. He's recognizing the reason for the storm. He's he's recognizing, but he's not yet repenting. 
Because I fully believe in my heart that if Jonah would have went back down below the ship where he was sleeping, and if he would have got on his knees and confessed to the Lord, or right then and there in front of the men, if he would have confessed in the Lord, I truly believe that things could have turned out differently. I think we see that principle all throughout the Bible. We, we love to pull 2 Chronicles 7 verse 14, right? If my people were called by my, who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive them of their sins, and I will heal their land. We love that verse here in America. We love verses like Proverbs 28 verse 13, he who covers his sin will not prosper, prosper, but whosoever confesses and forsakes, what, will have Mercy, if you confess your sin and then forsake your sin, there is mercy. Second Chronicles 30 verse 9, your Lord, the Lord your God is a gracious and merciful and he will not turn away his face from you if you return to him. I fully believe that Jonah could have repented. I don't believe that Jonah was repenting. We can disagree. I'd love to talk about it. But Jonah's recognizing that this storm was his fault, but he's not in a position yet to, to repent. He's not there yet. And here's the thing. Jonah didn't doubt the reconciliation of God. Jonah didn't really want the reconciliation of God yet in this moment. He wasn't quite ready for it. And the crazy thing is this is Jonah, the prophet of God in the northern kingdom. He has seen this relentless pursuit of God. He's seen time and time again, wicked, doing evil in the sight of the Lord, the northern kingdom. But God's relentless. God pursues them time and time and time again. He's heard the stories of Israel, how God pursues them time and time and time again. He has lived this. In fact, he's even been the voice of this. He was the prophet of God to the northern kingdom, and yet he doesn't want it. Here we are. Notice he's not the only one in scripture that's been called to risk his life to save a life. Moses was in Exodus 32. Esther was in Esther 4. Paul will do this in Romans 7. Risk your life to save a life. In fact, Paul encountered a similar storm that I want you to turn to in Acts 27. Acts 27, there's this similar storm that Paul's a part of. And this storm was also violent. This storm was also dangerous. We talked a little about this storm in our uh, Philippians series because the Bible will say that uh, he's on this ship and he's heading to Rome to take trial under Caesar because he pled to Caesar, if you remember that. And Paul experiences this. And Paul warns this crew of this voyage. He says, if you go on this voyage, it is going to end in disaster. This is not going to be good. Winter is coming. Winter is here. There's going to be, uh, the storms are going to be bad. And sure enough, there was a violent storm. The Bible will say that this violent storm lasted many days. Just like Jonah's story, the crew members will begin to throw cargo off. They'll even throw food off. This storm will last many days. And in verse 18, the Bible says this in Acts 27. And because they were exceedingly tempest-tossed, the next day they lightened the ship. And on the third day, three straight days of storms, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their hands. Now when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no tempest beat upon us, all hope that we should be saved was finally given up. They gave up. They thought that they were gone. They thought that they were going to die. It was at a point where it was useless to even continue. No, no sun, no stars. That's how they uh, made directions in that day. Like they don't even know where they're at. The storm's chaotic. They're, they're low on food. They're low on supplies because they threw them over. This was the end. And so Paul stands up again and he declares this in verse 21. If you're uh, seeing it, you can look at it. It says, then Paul stood in the midst of them and he said, men, you should have listened to me, right? 
If I was in that moment, I'd probably, my, the next words would probably a little bit more, be a little bit more arrogant and cocky. Like, come on now, I'm the man of God. You should have listened to me here, brushed my shoulders off a little bit. But this is what he says. You should have not sailed to Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. And now I urge you to take to heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only the ship. Only the ship will be destroyed in this. And now I urge you to take to heart, the only the ship will be destroyed. For there stood by me in the night an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. I have a plan for you. And indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. Paul says, hey, God's got us. If you stay with me, God will protect us. God will guide us. You should have listened to me the first time, but you can listen to me now. The storm continues, lasts many more days, sure enough. There's people that try to get off the boat, and they were, they're reminded, hey, if you leave, like, you're going to die. If you stay with me, you will survive. And what happens? They survive. They make it to Malta, and they're shipwrecked in Malta. They all survive, but, but the ship is ruined, and God used a storm to put Paul right in Malta, where God did an awesome work there in Malta. But not only that, at the end of their ministry there, God provided the means for them to get to Rome. God had it all the way. Here's the difference. The, the reality is this. God is sovereign in all things, and we can't begin to fully understand how God can take the circumstances and the storms and even the victories in our lives and use them for his glory. But here's the difference. We can either trust him like Paul or we can rebel like Jonah. Those are really the, only the two, two options that we have at hand. We see two storms, violent storms, difficult storms. We see the sovereignty of God in both storms. But we see trust in one and we see rebellion in the other. But here's the thing. Uh, the difference was that Paul was willing to be a vessel used to point people to Je Jehovah. Jonah was not. Or Jonah at least was under his own circumstances, un under his own conditions, under his own prejudices. And, and that's not how God operates. But aren't you thankful that God is relentless to restore rebellious man? Secondly, notice this. God's witness becomes a weight. God's witness becomes a weight. Nevertheless, verse 13, the men rode harder to return the land, but they could not, for the sea continued to grow more tempests around them. So they cried out to the Lord and said, We pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life. Do not charge us with innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. So what do the men do? Jonah's like, hey. We're going we're gonna, to uh, throw me over. That's what you should do. So the men don't want that blood of the prophet on their hands. So they tried to beat the storm. They realized that they could not. And so they finally uh, fall on their knees. They pray to God. And, and what we find here is we find a couple things. What we find, number one, is the weight of sin. We find the weight of sin is real. Some believe, some commentators will tell you that Jonah was repenting in these moments. I struggle with that. Because have you ever had that weight of sin in your life, especially after you've been saved, that weight of sin and when that weight of sin actually affects somebody else, like the guilt and the pain that that causes you, like it shakes you when what you do wrong actually hurts somebody else. Like if, in my mind, if Jonah's repenting, like he should have stopped the boat, stole whatever they were using to guide the boat and said, no, throw me in. In fact, why didn't he just jump in, right? Why didn't he just jump in the water? We've asked that question. Many people have asked that question. Well, uh, perhaps uh, Exodus 20, suicide's a sin, so Jonah was willing to die, but Jonah just didn't 
want to uh, die because, uh, through sin, even though he was already sinning, running from God. Perhaps there was a chance that God told him to jump in, but at the same time, why would you put that guilt on those soul, the, the sailors to make them throw you in? Like imagine the guilt that they would carry. That's why they're trying to outrun this, this storm. Some say that, that he was just a coward. But here's what we know. We really don't, don't have a clear picture of it. But here's what we know. Jonah was acknowledging the weight of his sin and how the weight of his sin was actually affecting other people. And so he was giving them a way of escape. He was giving them an out. He knew this storm was on him. And so he was saying, hey, if you throw me over, this is your way out. But I get a sense that Jonah is, is, would rather die than see Nineveh receive mercy still. He's just not at that repentive place yet. And so what we find is that the weight of sin is real in our lives. The weight of sin is, is real in our lives. But that begs the question, can we still have the weight of sin when, when we have the position that we have in Christ? Ephesians 1 will speak to uh, forgiveness of sin. In, in Ephesians 1 verse 6, it says this, To the praise of the glory of his grace, and it is praiseworthy, by which he, ma- he has uh, made us accepted in his beloved. How has he made us accepted in his beloved? Through the redemption, uh, through his blood on the cross as he dies for the sins of the world. And then it says, he has given us the forgiveness of sins according to the riches and by his grace, which he made us to abound to, towards us in all wisdom and prudence. That when we accept Christ, we have the forgiveness of sins. We, we are accepted in the beloved when we claim Christ, which is a beautiful picture. It's a beautiful thing. But what Paul's referring to here is at the moment of salvation. And the Bible says in Psalm 103, I think it is, that, that God forgives our sins as far as the east is from the west. He no longer remembers them. He, they are under the blood is what the Bible will tell us. He removes them. But this is talking about justification. This is past, present, and future sins are no longer under the penalty of eternal torment and inter- eternal judgment. That's what this is talking about. However, we still sin. <laughs> And although our sin as believers doesn't hinder our position in Christ, it does weigh on us. That's why 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. One is talking about your position in Christ. The other is more talking about your relation in Christ. And what we find is, for example, if I... If my dad tells me a rule and I'm to follow and to submit to a rule, let's just say my dad says, hey, do not touch touch uh, this piece of paper right here. And, and I'm going to use this one because I have 500 of these. But uh, he says, do not touch uh, this paper right here. And, and sure enough, he goes to work, he does his thing. And I'm like, ooh, paper, this sounds a little great. This sounds great. So I'm looking at it, looking at it, looking at it, and I rip it. That's why I didn't want to rip it. I only have 100 of these. But, and, and I rip it. And I'm like, oh, snap, that was a mistake. And so I'm trying to tape it together. I put it back back, nice and nice where it should be. I go along my way. I'm hiding in the corner. Dad comes home. He goes. He wants this paper. He looks at it, and he notices it's moved a little bit, but more importantly than that, it's, it's destroyed. And here's, here's what happened. I've already rebelled, right? I've already rebelled. There's already friction in the relationship. I've already hindered the relationship. So he comes, hey, son, did you touch my paper? Now I have a choice to be, I have a choice here. I can either admit I've rebelled and seek restoration, or I can live in a place of rebellion. I'm still his son. I'm still his child, but I have a choice. The relationship has been hindered, and I I now carry a weight. Because what happens is I can carry this weight and reject it and just live in guilt. Uh, I can just live in, in the consequences of my action, 
Or I can, I, can, I can submit. I can lay my weight down at the Father's feet and admit my wrongdoing. And fellowship can actually be restored again. That's what we're talking about here in this passage of, of Scripture. That is essentially what we see. Hebrews says to lay aside every weight and sin which does so easily beset us. Right, that there are actually weights in our life, and the weight doesn't even have to be sin. That's why he says weights and sin, which just so easily beset us. That there are things in our life that can actually hinder our relationship with God, and so we should take them seriously. We should. We're called to be a witness, not a weight. And unconfessed sin in our lives is real. That that power, that bondage, that weight. You think of what David said in, in Psalm 32. If you read Psalm 32, David's speaking of his, the weight of his sin with covering the sin of Bathsheba. And he lives this way for a year. And the psalmist will say this, when I kept silence, my bones wasted away through my groanings all the day long. That when David tried to cover his sin and hide his sin, that it actually affected everything about him. He says, I could not sleep. I could not eat. I could, uh, my bones waste. My strength dried up. Verse 10 will say, I have no joy because of this. He was full of grief because of that. And that's the power of unconfessed sin in our life. That's the heaviness that it actually affects us. It disturbs our conscience. It causes great pain. And David lived this way for a year. It would actually greatly affect his ministry, that, that he actually didn't even live longer. Um, all the other kids live, uh, kings lived significantly longer than David did because of his, his sin. And here's the thing. Jonah, dude, all you have to do is confess. I fully believe all you have to do is bow down before a relentless God who is pursuing you. But Jonah would rather carry the weight of his sin into the sea. He's just quite not, he's not quite ready. And I think of the lyrics of the old hymn. <laughs> That says, oh, what a friend we have in Jesus. Right? What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sin and griefs to bear. What is it? The burdens, the weights. It says, what a privilege to carry. Carry what? Our burdens, our weights. And lay it down to him in, in prayer. Are we weak and heavy laden? What A weight. Cumbered with a load of care. It's, it's, it's a weight. He says you can lay it at the feet of Jesus this morning. But I want you to notice also that, that, that there's also a weight passed down. There's also a weight passed down. It says this, Nevertheless, the men rode harder to return to land, but they could not, for the sea was growing more and more tempest against them, that the weight of Jonah's sin is actually being transferred to the people in his life, to the people under his influence. And, and first of all, put him in a hard spot. What do we do? We don't want the blood of this prophet to be on our hands. And so they tried to beat the storm. They know that goes against this God of Jehovah. They know they can't outrun it, but they're really put in a hard spot. What do we do with this, with this man's sin that's now affecting our lives? And that's the reality of sin. That when we run from God, that bitterness that stores up inside of does not just affect us. It affects our family and it can last through generations. And I've seen it. That gossip can not just hurt them, but it can last for a lifetime and it could shape your perspective on people. And we see this. That family conflict doesn't just hurt you and the person you're in conflict with. That it lasts through generations and affects everything. It affects children and children's children. This is, this is the result of sin. And so it puts them in, in a hard spot. And understand... That, that the weight that you choose to hold will not just affect you, it will affect everybody around you. It will affect the people that God has called you to minister with. So the real question that you have to ask yourself with the weights that you're holding, is, it the, is the weight worth what it hinders by you holding it? Is it worth it? To Jonah it was, and God would ultimately receive 
glory for it, but it wasn't meant to be this way. Secondly, notice this, it caused a moral dilemma. And it's interesting that the men who did not know God, the God of the Bible, Jehovah, are calling on God. Why? Because there's the, these morals that are instantly written on our heart. We saw that a couple weeks ago, that they knew there was judgment to sin. God, we don't want this blood of the prophet to be on our, our hands. Lord, forgive us of this, what we're about to do. But not only that, but, but they didn't want the guilt of it either. God, this is not what we wanted. Oh, you, oh, Lord. He says this, you, oh, Lord, has done as you please. Your sovereign, Lord, this is what he says you want. We're submitting to you. And so verse 15, what takes place? They pick him up, they throw Jonah into the sea, and the sea ceases from its raging. What an amazing picture this is. And I always wondered if they saw Jonah get swallowed by the fish, right? You always picture that. Like, you know fish stories, how they go. It's like, man, son, we had this crazy moment, and this prophet of God was on our boat. And I don't know why I'm talking in that voice. And all of a sudden, this takes place, and this takes place, and we just threw him over the water, and it ceased. Amazing. And it's like, what happened to him? Did he die? Did he, like, walk on water? Like, what took place? What happened to him? Did he get swallowed by a fish? Like, they can't check Twitter. They can't check the news feed. Like, they probably think he he died. And we find a sad reality that as the prophet leaves this boat, the pagan men see the glory of God because the storm ceases. And it shows us a picture that God can use us in spite of us because he is going to get the glory, but God wants to use us for his glory. It's just a question of if we let him. Because the third thing, what we see is this, God's grace is evident, but is God's grace seen in you? Is it evident in you? Look what verse 16 says. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered sacrifices to the Lord and took vows. The Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And these men feared the Lord exceedingly. That means that they feared the Lord with great intensity. And so what they do, they offered sacrifices to the Lord because the storm ceased. We don't know what they sacrificed because they threw a lot over, but we know the Bible says that they made sacrifices to the Lord and then they made vows to Jehovah. Jehovah's the God of the Bible. Jehovah's the creator of all things. And we don't know what they vowed, but it's important to know when they vowed because they vowed after they were delivered. They didn't vow, deliver me and I'll follow you. They vowed after God has delivered them. They vowed after they, they put all efforts to, to get, get out of the storm on their own. They, they, they vowed after they got rid of all the possessions that they lived for, that they wanted, that consumed them. They vowed after they realized that they could not get there on their own. They vowed after they sacrificed somebody on their behalf so the storm was ceased. That, that's when they vowed. It's funny, it almost looks like, sounds like another picture, right? It almost looks like the picture of Jesus. And so let me ask you, have you been delivered? Have you acknowledged that you can't get out of the storm on your own? That you can't beat it? You're hopeless, that, that your best efforts will fall short, that everything else in your life will pale in comparison and will fall short to the glory of God, that that, that is how life has been de designed. But there was one who sacrificed for you. His name was Jesus, and he came, and he was born of a virgin, and he literally lived a perfect life, and he died on a cross for the sins of the entire world, and he's thrown into the raging storm of this life to be our propitiation, to be our payment so that we wouldn't have to, and he sacrificed so that we could, could know him and accept him. Have you, have you done that? 
Have you confessed with your mouth and believed in your heart that Jesus is who he said he was and did what he said he did? The Bible says that, that for all sin and come short of the glory of God, but God has actually came to offer salvation for us because he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should actually come into repentance and be saved. Do you know him? And if you do know him, let me ask you, are you a wait or are you a witness? Are you a wait or are you a witness? Jonah's a prophet of God to the people of God, but he would be a wait, not a witness. What about you? What about you? No matter where you're at today, whether you feel like a wait or you feel like a witness, take hope because here's the essence of the story. God is relentless to pursue you. He's relentless. He's persistent to pursue you in all things. And so whether you're, you're, you're holding a weight in your life, the Bible says you can just lay it down at the feet of Jesus, that you can get around people who can help you bear that burden and help you uh, get closer to the Lord and guide you. And you can actually lay it down because he's persistently there to pursue you in all things and you can trust him. And if you are the one being persistent, you feel like, hey, I'm trying to live this Christian thing out. I'm trying to be the example at home. I'm trying to live right. I'm trying to be the example for my coworkers. May you pray, Lord, just give me a little bit more faith. Just help me be more persistent. Help me stay faithful in all things because no matter what, God is gracious to pursue his people. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for your persistence, your relentless nature to pursue us, that although we fall short day in and day out, moment by moment, you're there. And just as you say in the parable of the lost sheep, that you actually will leave the 99 to capture that one, to connect and to, to reassemble that one. And Lord, in a group this size, we don't know the hearts of people here, but Lord, in a group this size, I would say there'd be at least one who perhaps does not know you, who perhaps has weights that they're carrying alone. Oh Lord, may you and your spirit guide, compel, correct, convict, and help us to lay weights down, to receive you if we've never received you with the confession of mouth and belief in our heart that you are Lord and Lord, that you want to guide our lives and help us direct our lives. Lord, if there's no one that's not saved here, Lord, may you convict, may you guide, may you encourage them to talk to a friend, talk to a relative, talk to who's sitting by them or come talk to me. Lord, may you help those who are carrying weights not to carry them alone. But Lord, lay them at your feet, but also seek accountability, seek help, seek mentorship, guide and direct. Lord, may we not be like Jonah, who as the storms come and the clear signs are given, still reject you, neglect you, put you off, but may we seek restoration in all things so that we can be more conformed to your image and who you call us to be. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this church. We thank you for the new staff. We thank you for the Gilmer family coming. We thank you for many that are coming to intro uh, this morning. We thank you for the faithfulness of the body right here through years that we've seen you, we've experienced you, we know you, and Lord, may we be persistent to continue to pursue you in 2023, and we love you, and it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.